Yes, hello there and welcome to Join Up Darts. This is an archive show, which means that I'm not here at the moment, but it's, it's all pre-recorded. But it does give you just a glimpse of what's been happening on the iTunes number one business entrepreneur show since we launched. Now, this show is different and you'll hear laughter, tears, shocking stories, real life turmoil, and of course, the kind of success blueprint that will change your life forever. If you want the dream life, then all the answers are here. Now, these are the old episodes, so to get right up to date listening to the latest stuff, then simply search Join Up Dots, click subscribe, and never miss an episode again. And of course, over at joinupdots.com, you can get instant access to our free 12-day podcasting course or loads of amazing free downloads to kickstart your own entrepreneurial journey, all made by my own fair hand. So let's get on with the show. You've got a lot of catching up to do after all. Enjoy. When we're young, we have an amazing, positive outlook about how great life is going to be. But somewhere along the line, we forget to dream and end up settling. Join Up Dots features amazing people who refuse to give up and chose to go after their dreams. This is your blueprint for greatness. So here's your host, live from the back of his garden in the UK, David Ralph. Yes, good morning to you. How are you? I'm coming through loud and clear, and my guest is coming through amazingly clear today. Um, we record all these on Skype, and sometimes it's a little bit iffy, but today the audio quality is like he is sitting on my lap, and maybe that's the image that he wants. I'll be honest with you, um, we have been chatting just before pressing the record button, and it did get a little bit X-rated, so I might start doing some evening shows and not tell the guests that we're recording and put it out a little bit later. I don't know, I might go with that. But let's introduce you to today's guest and he is a man who, well I, I don't do this very often but the introduction is actually in his own words and you'll see why I haven't written the thing myself this time. These are his words taken from his website and could I have done any better? I'm a world changer. Now before you think I'm an egotistical too big for my britches jerk, I think we're all world changers. If we weren't born to change the world, we're unnecessary. In a nutshell, I arrived at my world changer philosophy after being fired four times. Twice, I shouldn't laugh at that. Twice by the same company and once by my own dad. Just tried to top that. And after facing 42 years in prison, after starting two companies that rose and fell like the Roman Empire, and after getting married, having a wonderful wife and then daughter, I finally realized my true purpose in life. Wow, there's so many things that I need to talk about, but where do I start first? With the 42 years prison stretch or that dad who sacked him? And that is harsh in anyone's book. Or perhaps I should go with a moment he found his own path in life that has been world changing for him and, of course, the world. Or perhaps we should just probe into his skills of affiliate marketing, which has been so lucrative for him both personally and professionally over the years. But there's so much more to him. And I'm going to love this conversation as I bring onto the show to start joining up the dots of his life but one and only matt matt williams how are you today sir i am doing great david and you know i really enjoy just hearing my own story in a british accent it, it's it's like 50 percent better hearing it in your accent so thank you we are basically all englishmen um americans have always kind of said they either think we're like james bond or hugh grant it, it seems to be that is the stereotypical englishman yeah, and I, it it really did sound good. Plus, the you know you had me at sitting in your lap. This was uh, I knew this was going to be a good call once you once you said that. Well, don't wiggle around too much because <laughs> you might knock the mic. 
You you have actually got one of those names. I'll be honest. I've been struggling with your name. It's like a tongue twister, isn't it? Matt Mac Williams. Matt Mac Williams. Yep. How many times can you say your name fast? Can you do it five times really quickly and not screw up? Oh, let's see. Matt McWilliams, Matt McWilliams, Matt McWilliams, Matt McWilliams, Matt McWilliams. It's actually, uh, it's an Irish name. So over in uh, in your neck of the woods, and my my family is uh, is half Scottish. So somehow we ended up with an Irish last name, though. But going back in time, we traced it back. And my, my dad's side of the family, where the name came from, of course, is... Uh, were Scottish uh, Highlanders way back in the back in the day. You, you know, the, the strangest name that I've had recently is Mark Sievercrop. I've had this guy on my show, and that was quite an unusual surname. But yours is kind of unusual in the whole sense that it's it's as I say, it's not easy to say. It's even harder if you say Matthew. Are you actually a Matthew? I, I am, and uh, and I'm glad you brought up Mark Sievercrop because I know we we had talked in the pre-show that you and I were going to try to work that name in. So that was a that was a good working of the name in. So shout out to Mark, uh, but yeah, Matthew, and my middle name is Ryan, and last name McWilliams. So let's get right into it. The, the show is yeah. Join Up Dots, and um, you was obviously introduced to me by the aforementioned Mark Sievercrop. You see, I've done it again. I've got we're three. We're, we're up to three. Three to times three in the first four minutes. Right, that, that's the end of it. We can't keep on doing that. And um, so he introduced you to the show. And when I get names through, there's there's certain names that I kind of go right. I've never heard of this person at all, but they sound interesting. And your name was a name that I thought, hang on, I, I've, I've heard you before and I couldn't quite place it. But I realised by going back in time that I heard you first on the Solopreneur Hour with Michael O'Neill many moons ago. Yeah, that was uh, probably seven, eight months ago that I was on his show. And uh, the thing that resonated with me at that time on his show, and I, I'd kind of forgotten about it, but it was like niggling away in the back of my mind, was the fact that you were extremely proficient on at affiliate marketing, i.e. making money in a passive way online. But that was just a part of your game because the bigger part is the kind of caring, sharing side when you literally reach out and help people to change their lives, which is, is unusual. When people are affiliate marketers, mainly that is their thing, and they just go down that route. How come have you, How come you've got the two sort of areas of your life that's working at the same time? Yeah, it's funny you would ask that because they, they do, they are so different. Now, granted, you know, there are times when they tie together. A good example is my first consulting client, about three three years ago, um, you know, was a small small business owner, somewhere in the neighborhood of right at about six figures in revenue. I think it was actually just south of six figures, and I started consulting him. You know, we spent about twenty hours together. I was helping him grow his business mostly on the affiliate side, and we talked a year later, little follow up interview, you know, just to check in with him. We we'd become pretty good friends over over time. And I asked him how things are going. He's like, man, things are great. We broke, this was in November of 2012. He said, yeah, we've already broke $200,000 this year. We just moved into a new home. We're finally able to get a, a four bedroom home because he's got two kids and they can each have their own room. We finally, you know, we got the four bedroom home. Things are great. We're sending 
you know, sending our daughter to um, a new private school and the business is booming and life is great. And I'm thinking, well, that was that kind of married those two things there because I, I didn't go into this, at least mentally, with the perspective of I could change this guy's life. I could actually possibly change his family tree, but it did. So it, it's kind of fun when I get to to marry those two things and and take my my message, my my inspiring message of being a world changer and combine it with this know-how and a rather boring subject of of affiliate marketing and setting up affiliate programs and affiliate management. So they're they're two things that don't normally day in and day out don't mesh very well together. But there are two passions of mine. I'm pa- very passionate about helping small businesses set up affiliate programs and run them successfully. I'm, I'm very passionate about helping business owners make more money and, and be more efficient with their businesses. But I'm also very passionate about inspiring people to know, you know what, their, what their God-given worth is and what they were created to do. Because my philosophy is that everyone was put here with the purpose of changing the world in some way, shape, or form, or else they're unnecessary. And that sounds cruel, but I believe it's true. And so it's kind of fun when, when I get to mesh those two together occasionally. Why do you think that, that everyone has been put on uh, for a purpose? Because I, I agree with that. And I think some people out there listening on the bus, on the train or whatever will go, no, that's absolutely stupid. I am just an employee and I'm going to work. But I would say to them, it's just you haven't found your thing yet. How do you get that concept and how have you realized that with other people? Well, I think it goes back to, you know, you mentioned a little bit of my story in the intro. Um, The fourth time that I was fired, which would be the second time by the same company, this was not the time my dad fired me. And this was long after I'd been in handcuffs after being indicted by a grand jury on seven felony counts and facing 42 years in prison, long after um, those exciting and enjoyable times in my life, I was fired for the fourth time. Thankfully, I had that consulting business on the side that was was bringing in just south of enough money to survive on. And we were we were very fortunate and blessed. We've been very disciplined with our finances. We had more than enough money saved up. We, we weren't worried about things financially. But I, I remember that day that I was fired. It was a Saturday. And I always joke with people and say, you know, here I am. I've got a newborn. Probably she was five months old. Got a brand new house we just bought. I've got a stay-at-home mom is my wife. So we went from having five months before we went from having two incomes to one and I've just been fired and it hit me that I should change the world. <laughs> and and I, 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 the look on people's faces when I say that is priceless because a lot of them believe me that that was the moment I decided to change the world. It was when the reality is that would just, that was the moment I decided to weep like a four-year-old and you know, go into a deep depression for a couple of days before I finally came up out of it. Did, did you but have angels I, and and you know, <laughs> and and all and rays of light coming down on you when you had this this epiphany? No angels, but I did have the London Symphony Orchestra playing in the background there. Um, you know, and I had this. It was just so peaceful for those three or four days after I got fired. But you know. I did come up out of it and somewhere along the lines over the next few months, I, I developed this philosophy and it was just, it just kind of hit me one day. Um, I had written a post about entrepreneurship 
and and really what the what the post talked about was that we're all entrepreneurs. We're all meant to change the world. And I, I went back into my own childhood and I started thinking about my friends. I started thinking about, you know, people that I've heard over the years and I realized we really are all entrepreneurs at heart. Like deep down inside of us, I, I, at least everybody I've ever known on any personal level, we all had these crazy businesses when we were kids. You know, we all had these, the door-to-door businesses or we all, we all looked at these problems in the world and we said, I can solve that problem. You know, that was the attitude I had when I was five years old, six years old, seven years old was I saw a problem in my neighborhood. And I'm like, I can fix that. I might've had no resources to do it, no ability, no know-how, but I thought I could fix the world, fix everything in the world. And I thought that I had this immense power inside of me when I was very, very young. And I don't know when that changes in people. Like I know for me, it wasn't this cataclysmic event when I was eight years old, somebody said something to me and it changed my view of the world. It just kind of slipped. Sorry sorry to stop you, but I can tell you when that changes. And I think it changes for people when they start having their first failures. Before then, when you're a five-year-old, nothing ever goes wrong because you're supported and you're nurtured. And so, you know, if you ask a five-year-old, what what do you want to be? They're going to say astronauts. They're going to say princesses. They're going to say all these amazing things because there's no realization of failure but once you get a little bit older then it starts coming in then you realize that you're not superheroes you know and that could be and it it is a very i believe it's a very gradual process and so the the i can solve that i need to do something about this i i should you know i should fix that problem as we get into teenage years or adult years starts becoming well somebody needs to do something about that you know, I, I wish somebody would fix that. I wish, why doesn't somebody do something? You know, that's the attitude shifts from that. Mm. And, and just like that person that you said earlier, oh, I'm just an employee. You know, th- it's that mentality because I'm saddened. You know, I'm, I'm angered and I'm saddened when I, when I hear and see people think like that and talk like that, that somebody needs to do something about some problem or somebody needs to, somebody needs to invent something. And I know we can't all invent something. We can't all create the iPhone. We can't all be Steve Jobs. We can't all be Bill Gates and we can't all be so-and-so, you know, not only one person gets to invent the telephone for the first time, you know, that's Alexander Graham Bell. Nobody else can be like him again, but there, there are so many things in this world that we can all impact and maybe you are just an employee maybe you're an employee i should say but that doesn't mean that you can't change the world from that because there are a lot of people who were just employees and i'm using the little air bunnies with my fingers right now there are a lot of people at apple who were just employees who've completely transformed this world there are a lot of people at nasa who were just employees of nasa who were responsible for you being able to see pictures of the earth from space right now. And so all of these things were done in a way by just employees. It doesn't, you don't have to be an entrepreneur to change the world. Although I do think it helps. Do you know what I think as well? I think one of the things that holds people back and it almost held me back from doing this show was the fact that 
there were other podcasts already out there. Somebody else has already invented the phone. Somebody else has already invented the car. And you kind of, you brand these things in little pockets where actually, if you logically go, okay, somebody else has um, designed the car, how many different brands of car are there? How many different types of phone? How many different types of podcasts? We can all do our own thing in those, those little markets and be very, very successful. But because we look at the big picture, oh, it's already been done. We don't even try it. Well, and everybody has a, a unique thing. I mean, think about how many podcasts do you listen to, David? I used to listen to a lot. And then when I, this is, this is the truth of this, um, I used to listen to a lot. And then when I started to get the idea of um, doing the show, I started to get scared by the amount of competition out there. So I closed it down. So in my, my mm-hmm. tiny little mind, I kind of almost convinced myself I was only against three or four people instead of, I don't know, 100 million or whatever's out there at the moment. And so that was my 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 trick but i i do still go back to the solopreneur hour with michael o'neill if anybody hasn't listened to that show jump across i do still listen to entrepreneur on fire and but the, the nerdist i think they're the three that i sort of um i i listen to when i've got a moment yeah and you know even then if all you listen to is three four or five um or if you're like my readers i do not have a podcast yet but i'm strongly considering launching one and i probably will within the next 30 to 60 days um, from when we're recording this. But, you know, I, I pulled them. I surveyed them at the beginning of the year and I asked, you know, how many, how many podcasts do you currently listen to? And 30 something percent of them said 10 plus. So if, if, if the, and I think the average was somewhere in the neighborhood of seven. So if the average person, at least that reads my blog, listens to seven podcasts, but what what is the big deal about adding an eighth? It's not like I've asked them to completely transform their life, you know, adjust their schedules, and they have to wake up a half hour earlier every day to listen to a fifteen to thirty minute show. That's not the case. They'll they'll add it in. Maybe they'll listen to, maybe they won't listen to every episode of mine, and they'll replace a couple of episodes of so and so show with. Mm a couple of mine, it's, it's not a life-changing thing as much as I'd like to think it. It's not a life-event-changing thing, meaning, again, they're not having to adjust their schedules. And not to mention, in your case, you know, how many awesome, how many podcasters are interviewing awesome people like Mark Sievercrop? Um, he, he is <laughs> that, the best, isn't he? Yeah, that are British, you know, and, and there is, is, not to make make light of the accent, but Hey, you know, it's fun to listen to British people. And so how many people are doing what you're doing or having, you know, different types of people? And I've listened to a couple of your episodes. I mean, they they were very vastly different people. So there's always a spot for for different types of shows or different types of things. And there's there's Apple and there's Windows and there's uh, how many different computer companies are there? I mean, and there's really not a ton of difference between them. But there's always room for some small improvement. And and I highly encourage people if they have an idea, if they have something, but there's there is competition out there, then just think of the ways that you can be ever so slightly different, or think of the audience that you can can reach with that message. When my message of of if you look at my target audience, or at least based on the surveys, what my audience actually is, it's a little bit diverse, but typically the the motivational, you know, the change the world philosophy message isn't really geared towards 
the 35 to 54 year old predominantly male um, income of $75,000 or more type person. Mm. It's typically geared more towards the teenage young adult, um, you know, that sort of, of crowd. But I'm targeting people who aren't normally targeted for that, and I'm still reaching out to them, and, it, and it's it's changing people's lives. I mean, just based on the emails and the notes I get in the mail and the comments on the blog, it's changing people's lives. So I have the same message as so many other people. I'm just hitting a different audience that only I have can or have been able to so far to be able to hit. Let's let's take you back because I love the passion that you have, and. It, it's it's so good. It is good passion. You know, you're you're there with your heart in the right place. So, how did you get into a position where you were facing forty two years in prison? Was it just a series of mistakes, or was it that you was an evil person in the old days? It was the the very short version of that story. And I don't mind sharing it. I think uh, I would imagine if you if you go to mattmcwilliams.com and just do a search for the word handcuffs, I pretty sure I've written less than four posts that mention the word handcuffs. <laughs> so you'll find the, it's, it, I think the title of it is like that time I was arrested or something like that. But uh, yeah, what happened was I was running uh, in 2002, I ran for the the local school board in, uh, in North Carolina where I was living at the time where I was born and raised for about half my life. I was running for the board of education and I made it through the primary. I was the youngest person in the history of North Carolina to make it through a primary election at that time. I don't know if I still am. But I made it through the primary and then got just beat like a drum in the general election. It wasn't even close. I, I lost by a mile. And uh, fast forward two years later, and I announced that I'm running for the State House of Representatives. I'd been convinced that I was the best known possible candidate. Uh, so I ran, it was announced that I was running against the, uh, the co-speaker of the North Carolina house of representatives. In other words, the third or fourth most powerful politician in the state of North Carolina, he'd been in the house, uh, since I was probably in grade school at the time. And his nickname was boss hog. If that gives you any indication as to his personality, boss hog is a reference to the Dukes sheriff on the Dukes of hazard. Yes. Yeah. We I didn't loved know they it. had that store. We, yeah, we loved it. And I never understood why okay. they never opened their doors. They always just jumped through the window. What was that about? <laughs> I have no idea. But, you know, anywho, that's, that's what it's in reference to. You know, he was, he was a ruthless man. And um, I ran against him. And so somehow they ended up investigating my campaign. And they found nothing on the state house campaign. It was as squeaky clean as it could possibly be. I had a great team in place who kept great records all of that stuff. Well, they went back and investigated my school board campaign. And in that school board campaign, I forget the exact amount. It was under $200. It was about $165 um, that they found a discrepancy on. And, you know, it was a, I ran a $7,000 campaign maybe of which 5,000 of it was my own money. And there was a hundred and $65, whatever the number is, mistake. And, and it, was an, it was a mistake that I knew about. I had forgotten about it clearly, but they asked me about it. I was like, yeah, we, we lied on our, on our finance report. Well, what it was was we had lost a couple of receipts. And I, I basically just asked my treasurer to just make up the numbers, you know, like figure out somewhere to put that. And we could not document it. Well, the thing is, you sign your campaign finance reports 
under oath. You don't actually go and raise your right hand, but you're signing them under oath. And it says on there, if you lie on this, you're basically committing perjury. Mm. Well, the problem is you sign them, you fill those out every quarter, and then you fill out one final one. So there were five quarters in my election cycle, and then the final one. So I filled out six of these. Well, they they compound. You're you're not just filling out the one for that quarter. You're filling out the one and, and re-ascertaining everything from the one before. So it it is a bit extreme to say, you know, it, there's some shock value in saying I was facing 42 years in prison because if you know anything about the American legal system, they never give you what you actually could get. There's always a plea bargain. And I plea bargained um, down to two years probation, 90 days house arrest and some community service. So I've worn handcuffs. I've worn an ankle bracelet. Um, I've been in jail and um, and technically I've been indicted on seven or six felon, it was six felony counts of seven years each, not seven for six, like I said earlier. Uh, so I've been indicted on by a grand jury and all that fun stuff. So, so, so when you I, were in jail, sitting there or standing there, was it was it a moment when you thought, right, okay, this this really this has gone bad. This has gone pear shaped, as we say over here. Um, I really need to focus when I come out, or was it a kind of thing going? Because because from what you were saying there, I was thinking, well, that that. That was just a paper chase. That was just a few things gone slightly wrong. You know, you, you didn't deserve what you were getting. How did you personally sort of take it? I was a punk about it. Um, I still remember, you know, initially when, um, well, backing up to how I was in jail, I actually knew the um, the deputy sheriff. I, I actually helped get the sheriff elected. And so I knew the sheriff and the deputy sheriff and he apologized for having to put handcuffs on me. And I learned if you've ever seen a photo of somebody walking out of a, of a sheriff's office on the front page of a newspaper, which I did make the front page of the newspaper the next day, and they, they look like they're hiding from the camera. It's actually because they strategically, I swear, they placed the exit of the sheriff's office directly into the setting sun. (laughs) So I walk out, I'm not wearing sunglasses, and I walk out from this dark sheriff's office into this bright light with a photographer flash right in my eyes, and I cover up my face. And so that's what made the front page the next day, which is great when your mom and dad are both local, uh, along with the rest of your family, and they get to see their their son or nephew or... um, cousin on the front page of the paper with handcuffs on that was fun but as i'm in as i'm in jail it really wasn't a big deal um, because again i knew the deputy sheriff i was with him the whole time they were just fingerprinting me and all that but i I remember how much of a punk i was and how just i guess they have that's the best word i can come up with i was just a young punk who thought more highly of myself than i should because when the judge handed down his sentence one of the conditions was 90 days house arrest And the thing about house arrest that many people might not know is you're not actually confined to your house for 90 consecutive days. You are allowed to leave for predefined time. So if you work outside of the home, you get to leave, but you you get like how you get your basically your commute and then your commute back and you get nothing else. You are not allowed to leave the house otherwise. And he looked at me and he goes, what do you do for a living? And I just looked at him with a smug look and I just kind of smirked at him and said with such arrogance, I said, yeah, I work from home. <laughs> and, and I remember I remember thinking to myself and my, my attorney looked over at me like, you idiot, you know, like you arrogant idiot. 
And I remember thinking, I'm sure glad he already handed down his sentence because I probably would just get like another year slapped on. <laughs> and um, so, so, was, so it, was it a good yeah. thing? Looking back, was it a good thing that you didn't get voted in? Do you think? Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, this show is all about connecting the dots. And and I I look back, you know, I grew up playing golf. Uh, I was a competitive golfer at one point. Um, my sophomore year, I was ranked 14th in the country in NCAA. And, you know, I won a lot of tournaments and that was great. But if I'd never played golf, I never would have met my friend Hunter. Uh, he was also a golfer. My dad was this golf instructor. And, you know, fast forward, if I'd never been arrested, I would have settled into a career in politics. I had some great, I was working on some other campaigns, you know, consulting them. I was making really good money. And I, it was, it was what I wanted to do, I thought. But, you know, obviously you get arrested for campaign violations um, and your name gets dragged through the mud. It's pretty hard to pick up clients. I did have a couple, including one who's still in Congress today, who actually kept me on board. You know, he said, of course, he wasn't ever going to lose. I mean, he's been in Congress since, um, I think, since pre-Civil War days. But, you know, it, most of my clients dropped me, as they should. And, and it was really hard for me to pick up new ones. So if I hadn't have been arrested, I would have stayed in politics. And if I hadn't have, if I'd stayed in politics, I wouldn't have gone to work for my friend Hunter and we wouldn't have started a business together. And if I hadn't have gone to work for him, I would have never moved back to Nashville. And if I hadn't have been in Nashville and subsequently still been a young punk and been a total jerk and I never should have been a leader in that company, uh, I would have never been fired by him the first time which meant I never would have, you know, and I, and I start connecting all these dots. And it, and it really goes on to, um, after that, I went to work for a friend of his who was best friends with a guy named Robert D. Smith. And Robert D. Smith is the agent for an author named Andy Andrews. So my first day at this company, he hands us an Andy Andrew, a signed Andy Andrews book. Well, I instantly, I read that book in like a week, become a huge fan of Andy Andrews. Fast forward Three or four years later, I'm listening to the Andy Andrews podcast in Dallas Airport. I'm on the train at Dallas Airport, and they have a guy on there named Michael Hyatt. Who I'm sure you know that name, Absolutely. of course, as do many of your listeners. I'd never heard of Michael Hyatt. Well, he's talking about his book, Platform. Well, I call up my friend Hunter, and I say, dude, you got to get this book. It sounds so good. We just started a book club together, and we had just finished our first book. I said, you got to get this book, and we read the book, Platform. And the book platform is why I started a blog. And subsequently, the book platform is why you and I are even talking today. It's actually why I got to, it's how I met Mark Sievercrop was because it was through my blog. And, five, I think and, that's five. Or yeah, Might be six times <laughs> we've mentioned him. Oh boy, <laughs> he's getting a big head right now. But that's why you are not even talk, are, are talking today. And it's why... On a, on, I mean, literally every day, Monday through Sunday, 365 days a year, I help someone. People I don't even know. I, I get an email almost every day saying, and that's just the ones that I know. Uh, I get an email saying, you've, you've made me a better leader. You've made me a better husband, a better dad, a better mom, a, a better whatever. A better. I got one recently, better grandparent. I'm like, I've never written anything about grandparents, but something I'd written had triggered something in her to make her a better, a better grandmother. And, um, and it all goes back in a way to me being arrested and getting house arrest when, when I 
connect those dots like that. Well, I'm going to bring Steve Jobs into the um, conversation now because this is a speech that he did back in 2005, which really does sort of um, emphasize the story that you you told us there. But I suppose a million dollar question is, although it was a bad time in your life, probably the most terrifying thing I could imagine going, um, having a a jail sentence um, forced on me. Do you look back on it now and go, actually, dark spot, but it was my light spot. That that was the moment where things changed for the better, even though at that moment I couldn't see it. When I think of all that it led to, you know, I could say that getting married was the best thing that ever happened to me, but I wouldn't be married if that hadn't have happened. So when I look back on it, it, it literally is the best thing that has ever happened in my entire life. And you're not married to Boss Hog. I just want to... <laughs> Uh, no, I don't know whatever happened to him. No, we, we, we don't need to go there. So let's bring in somebody that has got a powerful um, personality and has left powerful words on the world. This is Steve Jobs' speech. Of course, it was impossible to connect the dots looking forward when I was in college, but it was very, very clear looking backwards 10 years later. Again, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something, your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever. Because believing that the dots will connect down the road will give you the confidence to follow your heart even when it leads you off the well-worn path. And that will make all the difference. What's your feelings on those words, Matt? Well, it's funny. Um, I'm reading his biography right now by Walter Isaacson. And... Uh, probably about 50 to 75 pages ago, uh, they quoted that. I, I believe that's, is that from his commencement address at Stanford? Absolutely, yeah. Okay, yeah, it sounded like it. I mean, it's it's so true. I mean, obviously, when you look forward and I say, okay, here's where I want to be in 10 years. I I believe in the power of visualization. I believe in, you know, I'm a a positive thinker. I believe in that stuff because it's scientifically proven. I mean, they have done countless studies on it, but there is absolutely no way that you can positively or negatively, for that matter, project where you're going to be in 10 years and, and, and outline everything you know, like you're, you can't be 10 for 10 on things going, you know, 10 years from now. It's just, it's impossible. There are way too many things that are going to get, you know, they're going to happen. There's people you're going to meet. And, and I, I swear this time I'm not purposely doing it, but take Mark Sievercroft, for example, I didn't, I, I, I didn't know him two years ago. Now we're best friends. We met through a blog so something like that blows me away. And when I start connecting those dots, it goes right back to, you know, Michael Hyatt platform, which goes back to Andy Andrews, which goes back to Gabriel Smith, who hired me at Legacy Learning Systems to run their affiliate program and gave me Andy Andrews book, which goes back to the Hunter, my best friend, which goes back to, again, me being arrested, which prior to that, I was fired by my dad. If I hadn't have been fired by my dad. Well, I still would have been arrested because all that stuff happened before then, but I might have been in a different job had my dad not fired me. And so who knows what that would have done. And so I start looking at all these things. Would, would I have been as desperate when Hunter called me to say, can you come start a business with me? Maybe not. If I'd been making $300,000 a year doing what I love when Hunter called me, I never, I would have, I would have been an idiot. I would have been like, dude, I'm no, 
and go start it on your own. I appreciate the offer, though. That, and, that, and that so, is yeah, the key so thing, true. though, isn't it? That is the key thing, what you're saying. If you were earning £300,000 a year or $300,000 a year or whatever, then you would be pretty content, I imagine, with your situation. And you are unlikely to break that up and move on or so you would think but I've had guests that have been earning six figures I I had a guest episode 12 from memory called Jason Gaynard a Canadian um, chap and he was earning millions and realized it didn't make him happy at all and so he destroyed his own company where as I'm sitting here I kind of think that's madness but when you speak to him you kind of think yeah I can totally see why you did that so it wasn't you know totally rational that you you turned back on 300,000 and all that it's certainly how strong you feel at that time when that opportunity arises isn't it well absolutely and that's why I put the the caveat that if I was making $300,000 a year uh, rather than I was probably making $15,000 a year at that time you know as I just started my own business if I had been making 300,000 a year and loved what I was doing I would have told Hunter no, but instead I was making fifteen thousand dollars a year, hating my job. <laughs> you know, so when he came calling, um, it, it was I, I thought about two seconds about it, maybe at the most. And I said, "Yep, I'll I'll be there as soon as I'm off probation." <laughs> and thankfully, they let me off a year early, which was great. But um, I've got to stop I was able to move digging to ditches for a while, and I'll be with you. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> that was that. I will say that was an experience, though. The community service aspect of uh, picking—I I literally did nothing but pick up trash for for forty hours, which was which was nauseating. <laughs> the the thing that fascinates me with you is that you seem like your path was always going to be here, you know. And I find that with many of the guests I speak to, I almost think if I grabbed you as a little five-year-old, well, there's rules against that, but if I just had a sort of little one-to-one with you as a five-year-old, it's almost like there's many versions of you just waiting to find that moment that takes you into sort of the bigger world. I've just finished, or well, I'm I'm still ploughing through it. I'm a liar, really. Barack Obama's um, biography, Dreams of My Father. And I'm a quick reader. And I started this last May, and for some reason, I read half a page in bed, and dunk, I've gone. And so, it, and then I wake up the next morning, think, did I read that? And I sort of read it again, and I keep on going, keep on going, keep on going. And the thing that struck me with like even Barack Obama is that in my head, mentally, I had a little Barack Obama as a five-year-old walking around in a little suit and a briefcase and all that kind of stuff. But he was a chap that. I think he's in his 20s now, or he's about 24 in the story, and he still has no idea what he wants to do with his life. And he's drinking, and he's getting stoned, and he's, he's you know, having a sort of normal teenage life. And it's amazing where that lack of focus or that perceived focus is there, but it's just kind of under the surface, and it needs something to, to bring it up like a, like a geezer bursting from, from, the, from the ground. Yeah, I mean, I I totally know what that's like because I went, you know, I grew up playing golf, like I mentioned earlier. And so in high school and, and in college, that's all I thought about. You know, I had, I was smart in high school. I was good academically, you know, finished like top 10 in a class of a few hundred. 
but it came really easy to me. I never had to study. And then I get to college and they actually expect you to um, attend class, first of all, and they expect you to do additional work outside of class. Well, that was new to me because I used to just get by doing the bare minimum and kind of got by on my on my intellect, so to speak. And, you know, I used to write English papers on books. I'd, all I'd done was read the uh, introduction to the Cliff Notes and I'd make a B. And they would criticize my writing because they would say there was not enough substantive information. And I would always think to myself, this because I didn't read the books. So how much can I get? You know, but I get to college and, you know, I, I'm there for the golf and I play golf. And then I, I leave college and I'd had for the longest time terrible tendonitis in my wrist that by the time I left college and was playing professionally, it went up to my elbow within three months. It was so bad. It had gone up into my neck and the left side of your neck and the right and your right lower ribs apparently are connected somehow. It had literally gone from my left wrist to my right ribs. And all of this was inflamed to the point where I could not hit golf balls. I could, I could not hit a full shot and not just have searing pain in my body. And they gave me two options. One was surgery that was going to require uh, potentially over a year off or two was just don't hit golf balls anymore. Don't play golf for a long, long time. And um, I went with the latter. I quit playing golf. And so now I'm left with like, what do I do? You know, because I just assumed I was going to be playing professional golf. I assumed I was going to be on the PGA Tour. So I taught golf with my dad because that's what you do when you give up playing golf is you teach golf, you know, because it's easy and I can, I can impress them by, you know, hitting hitting a few balls mm. here and there and like, hey, watch me hit a 325-yard drive dead straight. Now I can charge you $100 an hour, you know, and th that's, so that's what you do. And then when my dad fired me, I'm right back in that, you know, same situation. And so, yeah, I, I don't, I look back on way back. I look back when I was four and I don't know how much of this is apocryphal, but my mom says I used to write, you know, that's what I used to love to do. I used to write, I used to make up stories and, and just write and, and do all these things. And then I've always was a skilled writer growing up. That was, I never studied it. I, I didn't really care about it, but I was good at it. And then when I got into politics, the reason I was so good at political stuff was because I was a great, I could write great fundraising letters. And that's ultimately what everything comes down to in politics. That's why people sought me out and paid me a lot of money to help run their campaigns is because I could write fundraising letters. And so I look back on all of that and I never, of course, imagined, hey, I, one day I'm going to be doing, you know, podcasts, um, sitting on a British guy's lap apparently, but I'm not, I, and, and I'm going to be writing a blog. <laughs> Pins and needles. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to change people's lives. And when I have this philosophy and I'm going to I, do all these things, I'm going to sell products online. I never in a million years thought that that would happen. And it, it really and truly did happen in my mind to the way that I had my life planned out by accident but when I look back at the skills that I had and the things that I did, even as a, a four-year-old, apparently um, apparently it all lined up. Well, this is it. And this is the tagline of the show. Join up, Dots. Connecting our pasts to build our future. Because I'm absolutely... When, when I started off with that, it was, it was kind of an idea in my head. I thought, I need a tagline. Let's go with that. And I said to my mate, I said, what do you think of that? He said, oh, it sounds quite good. Now I'm into the shows. I think, blimey, this is really good because it's spot on. And all of us, if we go back to our 
earliest stages, our sort of five, six, seven, eight, the things that we could naturally do really well, the things when, you know, you're the best drawer in the class or your best writer or you're the best dancer or your best all those kind of things, is naturally the things that we should have focused in on, but we've lost somewhere along the line because we had an opportunity for a job and we just went for it for the money and stuff. And with myself, I look back at my little self and I think, actually, this is exactly what I should be doing. I, I know that now. You know, There's a thing on my about page. I haven't mentioned it in any shows. And um, when I was writing my about page, I, I was thinking, well, what do I put on here? You know, And I didn't want it just to be sort of like a, a LinkedIn CV. So I started sort of writing about you know, my, my, my history, my sort of personal feelings. And I remember this story that my parents told me that apparently when I was five years old, I was at school and my um, teacher said to me, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up, David? And I said, uh, I want to be a jellyfish. And she said, you know, a bit, a bit, <laughs> bit, a bit of a strange answer. And she said to me, do you think you could be a jellyfish? And I apparently said, I can be anything I want to be, which is kind of profound. And as I was writing it on my about page, I thought, blimey, you know, now I'm talking to people on a daily basis who are pretty much are buying into that. You can be anything you want to be. Yes, you need to have passion or you need to have talent you need to have skill you need to have perseverance you need to have all these sort of elements but you have got the opportunity at any time of your life to start again and the situation that you're in if it's not a good situation it doesn't have to be the situation does it well exactly i mean i i couldn't say anything any better than uh how you just said it the situation that you are in right now does not have to be the situation. And in fact, it probably won't be. You know, I, I think it's, uh, speaking of, we've, I've mentioned him a couple of times, Andy Andrews. He talks about how, and I forget exactly how he wor words it, but he basically says that at any point in life, you are either coming out of a crisis, about to head into a crisis, or uh, what is it? Recover, uh, recovering from coming out of a crisis or about to head into a crisis. You know, that's, those are really the two phases. And, you know, th there might be a longer period of time between, uh, between crises, but you know, I, I, I look at just, if I just look at just the past five years, that's pretty much been how it is. There's always something to go through and we always come out different. If I, again, if I hadn't have been fired for the fourth time, I've only left two companies on my own volition in my entire life. Uh, one as a teenager and one as an adult. But if I hadn't have been fired for the fourth time, again, with all that stress of having a newborn and a, a wife that's not working in a brand new home that we're trying to, you know, naturally you buy a brand new home, you're spending a lot of money because we've moved and we, we spent all this money on stuff to decorate and all that. Um, if I hadn't have gone through that, I know I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now. I would, I would have been content where I was and it's not about the money at all, but I know I wouldn't be enjoying it. And I know for a fact, I wouldn't be making four times, five times more than I've ever made in my entire life. So I, you know, you, you can't, you're not going to be stronger. I know it's so cliche, but you're just absolutely not going to be stronger if you don't go through, through those struggles. 
I was talking to a chap just before you, and uh, I, I, I batch interviews. So I do loads and loads and loads of them over a couple of days. And he was talking about the Steve Jobs speech. And a lot of the time, people will say, yes, it's spot on. I have had a couple of guests that have said, I want to punch him in the face for saying that. And they, they've been come out with quite an eloquent you know, answer to why they want to do that. And he actually said, the thing about that speech that really strikes a chord with him is that all of us nowadays, with the economy being like it is, without the job for life security that we might have had when it was 30, 40 years ago, those words say hope. And it's as simple as that. It gives you hope that by having faith, by having trust in yourself, and by taking action, that your life can start again whenever you want it to be. What do you think? I I could not... Another thing I could not possibly agree more with, you know, we mentioned, you said with the economy being like it is today, and the thing is, we've been moving, naturally, been moving towards this economy for the past, you know, 50, 40, 50 years. You know, we've been moving more and more towards when when telephones became, you know, when everybody had a telephone, suddenly it became a little bit easier for some people to do their sales work from home, for example. And suddenly, um, a dentist appointment at three o'clock in the afternoon didn't mean that you stopped working. And then cell phones came along and suddenly you could be driving and still communicate with people or sitting on the subway, whatever it is, and still communicate with people. So the economy has been moving to this, you know, every year it just gets closer and closer to obviously where we are today. And when I think about that, when I think about what the economy, quote unquote, has done to to me, it's forced me to get out of that mindset of I'm just going to work for somebody for the rest of my life. I've got to be an employee or or I've got to be an entrepreneur, but it's got to be an entrepreneur with an office and, you know, 17.2 employees that report to me each day and we're all meeting face to face. It's completely change the way I, I see that stuff. And the word hope is a great word because when I was asked uh, by a school teacher, you know, so somebody who's in that traditional world, the world that really, quite frankly, hasn't evolved in the past 250 years in terms of how they run you know, education. It's still based on tenure and things like that here in the United mm. States. Um, I was asked you know, what about the risk when you started your own business? And I thought about it for about two seconds and I said, honestly, it was the least risky thing I've ever done in my entire life because for up until that point, other than when I had my own business for a period of time and was struggling, um, up until that point, I'd always worked for one company. And each of those companies that I'd worked for, um, you know, something went wrong. And, it, and technically, it was sometimes it was my fault, and sometimes it wasn't. One company got investigated by the FTC and had to pay a ridiculous fine and had to stop doing some stuff and had to pay people less. Uh, another company had uh, uh, one of the people in the company, one of the partners in the company, embezzled money. And so when I look back on those companies, when I worked for other people, I had all my eggs in one basket. And I was completely dependent upon somebody at the top of that company not screwing up so badly that it was going to put me out of work the next day or 
in the case of being fired one of the times, it was fired because they got really bad information and bad advice. And the other three, I totally deserved it each and every time. When my dad fired me, he should have fired me six months before, but that's a different story. Um, but the last time, I really, it wasn't the right thing for the company to do, and they struggled mightily after I left. I was always dependent upon those companies. I had one stream of income. That was the company that worked that I worked for. Now, as an entrepreneur, I have multiple streams of income. And so, if, if one of my clients tomorrow said, hey, Matt, um, we just don't want to work with you anymore, I would be heartbroken but my family's still going to be fine financially. And I'll go get another client pretty quickly. I've got a backlog of potential clients. If something dried up and you know such and such didn't make me as much money tomorrow, I'm fine because I've got so many streams of income coming in that, like I said, it's the least risky thing I've ever done in my life. I, I, I want the audience to know that if you're in a job and you love your job, then just go, I say this a lot, but just go in there and do it better than you've ever done before, you know. Exactly. But if you're not in a job that you like doing, I'm not saying, you know, start a brick and mortar. I'm, I'm just saying start looking around and start having, you know, conversations with people and send out a couple of emails and ask how somebody got going if it's something that you fancy doing. Because more often than not, you're going to get a positive answer. And we say that literally on every show. The most scary thing about starting and changing your situation is the starting. And once you actually get that momentum and you start moving forward and you've sent a few emails out and you've bought your URL and you've made your colors look as nice as possible and the fact that before you become quote-unquote successful no one gives a monkeys what your website looks like or your url or anything because no one's looking just get out there and sort of play around and, and make connections because suddenly you will think to yourself ah i'm actually building something i'm not playing around and once you get that and if it's linked to your passion and the things that you do well i.e your unique path then you really are nailing down security and the other thing is if you currently do love your job and at the time I started my consulting business, I loved my job. Um, I, I ate, slept and breathed my, my, uh, my job at that time. I loved the company. I loved everything we were doing, but I still knew I needed um, to have something on the side. And so I started that side business and, and I didn't try to grow it. I just took a few clients here and there and you know, I was making $25,000 a year, maybe doing that. But it gave me, it gave me that business in place so that when I did lose my job, I, I could just take off from there. It's a lot easier to go from 25 to 250 than it is to go from zero to 25 significantly easier. And so I always tell people, you know, the old saying, when life hands you lemons, make lemonade. I tell people when life hands you lemons, have a lemonade stand already open. You know, you don't need to be selling a lot of it, but don't don't make lemonade in reaction to to being handed lemons. You have a lemonade stand open and, gener and already making some lemonade. These are additional lemons. And now you just go, great, now all I got to do is make more lemonade. So if you're working five hours a week on the side, making, even if it's just a few thousand dollars, that's all you're making. You're working five hours a week on the side and making the same hourly rate as you do at work or even less to start with. Um, when suddenly if that job does go away or you just decide that you like this more, then you've got it in place and, and you, can, you can start rocking from there.
Is affiliate marketing, this, that's a whole different subject, but is that the way to go for people who are looking at getting a little bit extra into their into their salary each month? You know, this will sound odd coming from somebody who, you know, runs affiliate programs and, um, you know, and, and trains people on how to set up affiliate programs and really believes that every company should have an affiliate program. And I do believe that. I'm not suggesting that's not true. So this might seem odd, but yes and no it, it it's a it's a piece of the pie it's a it's a part of the formula i don't i don't personally suggest that people go out and try to make uh let's just say you know take the average american for example i, I believe the average american family makes around somewhere around forty eight thousand dollars a year so if you're looking to go make two thousand dollars a month that's that's life-changing for some that's a 50 percent increase in, in income that's life-changing for the average family of four in america um I don't know what the equivalent would be in uh, in pounds, but <laughs> anywho, um, you know, if that's the case, I don't suggest that you say I'm going to go out and make two thousand dollars a month just on affiliate income. If you're if you're blogging, if you're podcasting or whatever, yes, yeah, certainly when you when you reference a book, use an Amazon link, you'll make a few bucks. Um, if you're gonna if you're gonna promote other people's products, reference a uh, reference an affiliate link, you might make a few hundred dollars or even a couple thousand dollars. But I really suggest thinking of it still as is more of a business in the sense of you need to have your own book, you need to have your own products, you need to have your own ways for people to give you money directly, not through through other companies. So it can be a piece of it. I don't know exactly what the formula is. Maybe, you know, I would probably target somewhere around fifty percent or less of your of your income should be affiliate income. And then as you grow, that percentage will become less and less and less. I know I mentioned him earlier, Michael Hyatt. He's talked about this when he first got into the, you know, into blogging. Almost all of his income was affiliate income. Now it's probably a quarter of one percent is affiliate income. So, yeah, it's a part of it, but certainly don't not a. It's not a viable place to build your business because, again, even though you may have multiple companies, all of your eggs are in the affiliate basket. And as we've proven over the past few years, there has been legislation in the United States that has made it harder and harder for affiliates to earn income. And I've heard many stories of affiliates who were earning, you know, say $100,000 a year just through affiliates that are, their, their income has been cut by 67%. They're down under $40,000 a year. So I, I don't recommend putting all of your eggs in the affiliate basket. And I, I think Mark Sievercrop would agree. I absolutely think that Mark Shevercrop would agree. I, I'm, I'm going to try to get to double figures by the end of the show. I promise you. Um, just before we let you go, um, this is the very end part of the show, Matt, and this is what we call the Sermon on the Mic. And it's when we send you back in time to have a one-on-one -on -one with your younger self. And if you did walk into a room and you saw the young Matt being there, would you want to talk to the five-year-old Matt, the entrepreneurial five-year-old Matt, the Matt in handcuffs, the Matt on the golf course? What type of mat would you choose? So I'm going to play the music, and when it fades out, you're up. This is the Sermon on the Mic. Here we go with the best bit of the show. The Sermon on the Mic. The Sermon on the Mic. All right, so to my 
To my five-year-old self, I would say um, there's going to be a day when when you are you're suddenly faced with being a leader, and uh, you're going to wake up, you're going to start a company, maybe, or you're going to be in a position, and it's going to you're going to go from <laughs> practically no employees to having 15 or 20 people to report directly to you, or you're going to have 50 people in the company, some of whom you don't even know. And you're going to have to say no to being a leader because don't, don't watch Wall Street, the movie Wall Street, and think that that's a leader. Don't watch Bobby Knight and think that that's a leader. Don't learn your leadership lessons from the wrong people. So spend a lot of time as you're younger before you ever even have the opportunity to be a leader and learn everything you can about leadership. But the first time you get asked to be a leader, say no, because you're going to need to spend more time following people. You're going to need to spend more time learning from good leaders and not um, and not being a, a punk, <laughs> not, be, not thinking that the corner office is is a status symbol. That would be some, I would definitely tell you, do not think that you've made it just because you have a corner office with a corner office with a nice view. And don't think that you've made it because, you know, you've got people who report to you. Um, you can change the world. You can have an impact on people's lives. Don't ever lose the feeling that, you're not necessarily better than anyone and that you're more powerful than people just because they work under you. That'd be what I'd tell myself. Who would you say, Matt, is a leader that really is a beacon to you now at your age? You know, sadly, I don't, I don't have that many. Um, again, I, it's actually an area where I failed and I, everything I just said, you know, when I think about what I would tell myself as a, as a five-year-old, it comes because I've been in that position where I woke up one day and went, wait a minute, there's like 20 people that report to me and I really suck at this. And so I would have, I wasn't prepared to be a leader. And if I could go back in time, I would have demanded when they, when my business partner said, okay, you're going to lead this department. I've been like, no, you're gonna have to hire somebody. I'll continue to work here and I'll learn from somebody. But if I had to look at somebody that I that I know from experience, you know, not just somebody I've read, you know, so many people can say Jack Welch, but most people haven't worked for Jack Welch. You know, most people haven't worked for Steve Jobs. Most people haven't worked for a Warren Buffett. So I really try to focus on people I have personal experience with, and that would be, his name's Gabriel Smith. I think I mentioned him earlier, and he's the founder and CEO of a company called Legacy Learning Systems. And I've... You know, he, he made mistakes and he went through a very stressful time in his company, as I mentioned earlier, with the FTC. But he's a leader that I look up to in many respects because he's the complete antithesis of me. He's, he's much calmer. He's not as tightly wound. And he tends to think through decisions for more than two seconds. And he's very careful about what comes out of his mouth. And if you're familiar with the uh, the DISC profile, you know the DICS. Yeah. I'm I'm all D and I, and I'm the uh, the ready fire aim type person. And he's more of the ready aim 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 <laughs> aim type. And and I think if you could if you can get somebody who's kind of in the middle there, 
um, that would be would be somebody that would work really well. And so that may be one of his faults is the he'll think too, through things too much. But his he had a quote once, and I'm sure thousands of others have, have said it, but he looked at me when I, I came running into his office with my 71st idea of the week. And he just looked at me and said, Matt, can you let that one bake for a little while? And, and I did. I let it bake for a little while. And it turned out to be an absolutely stupid idea that had I been in charge, we would have tried to execute. And I don't know, we would have wasted tens of thousands of dollars. And instead, I, you know, he made me be patient. I mean, I'm, it was eating me up inside. When he said, let it bake for a little, I'm like, but this is really good. We got, if we don't do this tomorrow, this could be the end of the company, you know? And rarely, rarely are there things like that, where if you don't act immediately, it's a lost opportunity. Most opportunities will still be there tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And for people like me, the high Ds, the ready, fire, aim types, um, I think we could do well to, to realize that and to, to, you know, the old adage is sleep on it. And I, if I just sleep on something, I've reduced my bad decisions by 90% just by sleeping on it, even though it drives me nuts. I'm writing that down. Most opportunities will be there the next day. I like that. I like that very much. And that's and to clarify, that's not to say you just, you know, miss opportunities, you just be lazy and you procrastinate for months. I'm talking twenty-four to forty-eight hours. You know, again, sleep on it. Make the decision the following morning. Uh, if it's of any, you know, it's not about like what to, you know, what shirt am I gonna wear? That's you can make that pretty quick, but most decisions, if you're like me, if you struggle with that, this isn't for somebody who's already struggling with procrastination or, or indecision. Don't listen to anything I'm saying. If you're indecisive, just ignore everything I've just said. But if you're the, the quick thinking type, you could do well to, on the big decisions, sleep on it for one or two nights. When I quit my job, I'm, I'm going to say goodbye to you in a moment, but when I quit my job, it was within 15 seconds of having a conversation I walked from one desk to another, sat down, and mentally I'd quit. And it was instant. And it, it was so strong and so powerful, I couldn't change my mind, even though I was terrified beyond anything that I've ever done because I'd taken all the income that I was earning and just gave it back to my employer. But it was. It was 15 seconds. Yeah, I think that the story is very similar to Mark Sievercrop's in a way. Mark Sievercrop is a legend. And um, I'm, I'm going to put pictures on my website of Mark Sievercrop in different sort of varying states of undress. Now, that's getting a bit weird. It's getting very, very weird. How, how can we connect with you, um, Matt, Matt Williams? Yeah, well, you can go to mattmcwilliams.com. That's the easiest way. Or uh, search my name on iTunes because depending upon when this comes out, if you search Matt McWilliams on iTunes, you'll find um, you'll find my podcast on there. And if you don't find my podcast, if it's not out yet, you'll find interviews with uh, with me and other podcasters like yourself and like Mark Sievercrop. You've got to do the podcast. You've got a voice for it. You really have. <laughs> I'm like everybody, though. I hate the sound of my own voice. Yeah, but this is the weird thing, isn't it? Because you are the only person who hears your voice the way you do. Everybody else, if, if, you, if you suddenly could put it out the way that you hear it, everyone would go, oh, he sounds strange. Why does he sound like that? <laughs> 
Very, very peculiar. Very, very true. Right. So thank you so much, sir, for spending time with us today, joining up those dots. It's been an absolute pleasure. It really has. Please come back again when you have more dots to join up, because that's the beauty of this show. Our histories keep on growing forward, and you will always have more dots to connect up, because I believe, as I've been saying all the way through, that the only way to build our futures is by connecting our past. Mr. Matt, Matt Williams, thank you so much. Absolutely, David. Thank you. David doesn't want you to become a faded version of the brilliant self you were once to become. So he's put together an amazing guide for you called the eight pieces of advice that... Thanks for listening to today's episode of Join Up Dots, brought to you exclusively by podcastersmastery.com. The only resource that shows you how to create a show build an income, and still have time for the life that you love. Check out podcastersmastery.com now. David doesn't want you to become a faded version of the brilliant self you were once to become. So he's put together an amazing guide for you called the eight pieces of advice that every successful entrepreneur practices, including the two that changed his life. Head over to joinupdots.com to download this amazing guide for free, and we'll see you tomorrow on Join Up Dots. 